Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. So I got into a hobby one time. It was stupid. Um, I moved to Alpine, Texas in the early 2000s, and... Um, Kind of reconnected with my first best friend. Uh, he lived there. Whenever I was four years old, that's where my dad was. That's where we lived was in Alpine. And Justin lived a couple of houses down. And I remember some of my earliest memories were playing with him. And then whenever we moved off, I didn't see him for 20 years. And then when we reconnected, I mean, it was just like we had been friends that whole time. So now I live in Alpine. Justin lives in Alpine. And Justin had a hobby. And I didn't really have any friends over there besides him. Uh, moved over there for work, didn't know many people, so I figured I'd get into their hobby. Well, their hobby was motorcycles. Not dirt bikes, but street bikes. So being all full of wisdom that I am, I had never been on a street bike before, so I went and bought one. The next day, I took my class for that, and I passed my class. It was like the second time... I'd ever been on the bike is whenever I took my test and I passed that and two weeks later somebody thought it was a good idea to take a six-hour road trip to a motorcycle rally in Rio Dosa, New Mexico. Now that's about a six-hour drive from Alpine, Texas to Rio Dosa. I think we made it in around 40 minutes and um, yeah, I've been on that thing like two or three times before I went on a six-hour road trip. I was not having very much fun at all. I mean, there's just, I, I don't know, there's, there's things that I, that was confusing to me. One of the things that was confusing to me is, I think I need one of those tricycle motorcycles if I ever got on it again, because I just want to be able to turn the wheel and go a direction. Well, you can't do that. You got to like try to fall down, but don't fall down to turn it. And when you're doing a hundred doing that, and, and I can see Daniel scratching his head because he, tried to teach me how to turn a motorcycle. He said, you've got to turn left to go right, and I just still don't understand it, and he's laughing. So anyway, but anyway, I just, it was confusing to me. It was, it was not uh, enjoyable. Nobody, well, I can't say that. There's something that happens when you pass a semi on a street bike, especially a little one like I had. It was only a 750. You're going around this thing, and you get about halfway down it, and it's like that big trailer goes and just tries to suck you into it. And I just start screaming and, you know, shaking. And I was like, ah! And I was scared the whole time. These guys were running 100, because it's out in West Texas. There's nobody out there. We're running 100 on these little farm and market roads. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to West Texas, but we grow jackrabbits about this big. They're the same size as small deer. And every one of them is a com has a kamikaze death wish. And I could just imagine running a hundred on a little 750 and hitting a jackrabbit. And I, I was just so tense. Well, we're going to Rio Dosa, and it was it's pretty straight shot till you hit Roswell, New Mexico, and then you head west. And when we headed west out of Roswell, nearly right away, that road gets to be like this. Well, all these experienced riders, man, they thought that was the greatest thing in the world. They're just, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, scared to death. And when we left, I didn't even say this in the first service. When we left that motorcycle rally, 
we left during a thunderstorm, and it was raining straight down. And these guys were like, oh, this is cool. Blah, blah, blah. Scared to death. Scared to death. Quite frankly, it wasn't enjoyable to me. Now, if you're a motorcycle rider, I, I think it's amazing. I think they're cool. I do. It's just not for me. And I'm glad that's your thing. While hobbies are great, and I think we all need one or two, there's one hobby that everybody needs to stay away from. But unfortunately, a lot of people have it. What am I talking about? Christianity is not a hobby that is played on the weekends and holidays. Christianity should not be treated as a hobby. And I think that we're going to go over three things that happens when you treat Christianity kind of like a hobby. It's just something you don't really think about it during the week because you're working and, you know, all of that stuff. You, you just, when you treat Christianity as a hobby, you never really get to experience God like somebody that truly, truly follows him. So, when, Christi when Christianity is a hobby, it can be confusing. It can be confusing. One of the things that I hear all the time from people is, you know, I, I don't understand. And then you can fill in the blanks with, you know, whatever. I don't understand what the Bible says. That's why I don't read it. I don't understand, you know, why God didn't answer my prayer when I was 12, you know, to be an astronaut at 14. And, you know, just stuff like that. I just, that's what I hear all the time is that Christianity is confusing. That I don't understand why God's doing this. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. Well, let me tell you something. A God small enough to be understood is a God that is not big enough to be worshipped. Think about that. A God small enough to be understood is not a God big enough to be worshipped. Yeah, things are confusing. People say, like, why do bad things happen? I, I don't understand why, if God is such a loving God, you know, why do bad things happen? Well, let's... Instead of answering that question outright, let's look at the something on the other side of it. I heard that scientists have estimated that there is over one septillion stars that are out there. Now, septillion is a one followed by 24 zeros. That's how many stars are out there, okay? Now, so try to put that in a little bit of a perspective. If, if you started making a dollar a second from the time you were born, how old would you be when you became a millionaire? You would be 11 days old. If you continued to make a dollar every single second, how old would you be before you became a billionaire? You would be 32 years old. Think about that. A million in that aspect is only 11 days, but a billion is 32 years, and a billion has nine zeros. Add another, oh my gosh, I'm going to do math, 15, I don't know, whatever it is. Yeah, 15. Add 15 more zeros on it. That's a lot of stars, guys. That's a lot of stars. Each one of them is burning at least 1,000 megatons of energy over every square inch of that star every single second. 
And all of that was created with four words. Let there be light. And that's, that was the result. One septillion stars. I mean, you want to talk about a big God. That's a big God. Yet, yet we say, I don't understand God. I don't, we can't. When you, when you don't treat Christianity as a hobby, you, you understand that you're just not, we're not capable of understanding. I, actually, I had my weenie dog laying at my feet whenever I was preparing this. And the first thought was, I think us trying to understand God is like me trying to teach my dog calculus. It, it just We don't have the mental capacity to understand God. And even God says that. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26, if you got your Bibles, this is what God says. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. So we're going to question the wisdom of a God that not only made one septillion stars, but named every single one of them, and he remembers its name. And yet we're going to say, well, I don't, know. I don't know that I agree with what God is doing. We can't fathom what he's doing. We can't understand. He has infinite strength but he also has infinite wisdom. Because I think that everybody agrees, you know, that God is big and mighty and powerful and he created all of this stuff. And I think, I think that some Christian hobbyists or people that treat Christianity like a hobby, they might think of, of God like as the incredible Hulk. You know, infinite strength, but little bitty brain, right? No, his wisdom matches his strength. Look, we're never going to be able to understand everything. Don't let that stand in the way. He has infinite strength and infinite wisdom. How do we know? He tells us that uh, in Isaiah 40, verse 12. It says, who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? And that's infinite. That's infinite strength, infinite wisdom. And yet we say, well, we don't understand. And, and it hurts my faith because I don't understand. You can't. You'll never understand, and that's okay. But yet we still question his motives and reasonings. We still question his motives and reasonings. And he has a response for that too. In verses 13 and 14, who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone, uh, ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, God is all of those things. And yet we question his motives. When you make Christianity your hobby, man, all of that not understanding just clouds everything. You don't understand. But when you give your life to him, you, you start to realize that it's okay not to understand. I actually, I tried to find the quote, and I couldn't. Um, but I heard a guy say one time, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher it, so forgive me for whoever you are. But he said something like, if I could be God for a day, 
or I thought I would change a lot of things if I could be God for a day, but I think that if I was God with all of his wisdom, I wouldn't change a thing. Because we would know. We can't know, but God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. You know, you, you look at the, the, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, man, it looked like we were beaten. Here's our Messiah, man. It didn't take much to whip old Jesus, did it? They just went in there and grabbed him, nailed him to a cross, game over, right? But it was part of God's plan all along. And nobody understood what was happening. I think that if we could be God and say that we would change some things if we had his wisdom, we would see that he's doing it perfectly. That he's doing it perfectly. What else? When Christianity is a hobby, it can be expensive. Kind of like that motorcycle. Spent a lot of money. Like, I, I, I bet you I probably spent $1,000 a ride. That's probably pretty accurate. That's an expensive hobby. If anybody wants to come ride my horse for 1000 just to see what that's like, come on. Come on. You can ride them as much as you want for $1,000 a ride. See, tithing and giving is expensive when Christianity is a hobby. Tithing and giving is expensive when Christianity is a hobby. You know, I find it funny that one of the subjects I get asked to preach about most is about giving. And it's people that ask me to preach on giving are the ones that are giving, and they want me to preach a sermon on giving because since they started tithing and giving biblically, their lives have changed. And they want that for other people. But you know the stigma of a preacher preaching about giving. Oh, it's all about money, and you know, I, I just don't do it very often. But I'm going to give you five minutes. This is all I got to say about tithing, okay? A lot of people say, well, I don't believe in tithing. Tithing is Old Testament. Agreed. Absolutely agree. Tithing is Old Testament. But Jesus mentions tithing in the New Testament. He told the Pharisee, he said, you tithe a tenth of your mint and cumin, and you should. So you can't just say that it's Old Testament or New Testament. You have to pick one of them. Well, let's look and see what the Old Testament has to say about it. Bring all the tithes, which is 10%. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. And the only time in the Bible are one, two, three, four, five words. Put me to the test. Think about that. And that Old Testament tithing, let's see, for 10%, God will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on me so great that I will not be able to contain it. Man, I don't want that. Come on, right? But people are still like, oh, no, that's, that's Old Testament. Tithing is Old Testament. Well, let's see what Jesus said to give. In Luke chapter 18, verse 22, Jesus says, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Okay, so God's asking for 10%. His son is asking for everything. Pick one. I don't care which one you pick. Pick one. All right? And yes, I'm being facetious, and you know it. Okay? But what I'm saying is, like, I have been tithing, oh my gosh, for probably 15 years. 
And when I took over the church in, in Texas, when our pastor left, the lady that was uh, kept our books, her husband was the pastor of another church, but she helped us out, and you know we paid her to do the books and everything, and she related a story to me. She goes, I make my living doing books. When me and my husband first decided to start tithing, she goes, I make a living doing people's books. We did not have the money. We did not have the money. We were going to be short. Something was going to have to give. She said, but we wrote the check anyway. And she said, after the first month, we had more money in our account than we usually do at the end of the month. And she said, I couldn't really find out how that happened. And she goes, and it continued that way. And she goes, it was crazy. We would get an insurance. You know, if we started to get short, she goes, it would be amazing that like an insurance rebate would come in or something like that. Put God to the test because it's expensive whenever you give out of what you have left. Most people that treat Christianity as a hobby said, I can't afford to tithe. Those that are tithing and have seen the windows of heaven open and blessings pour out, they say, I can't afford not to tithe. Isn't that crazy? When you make Christianity your life instead of your hobby, it's way less expensive because when you give like you're supposed to with the right heart, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to write God a check. He says, put him to the test. I'm going to write him 10% and see what I get back out of it. You're not going to get anything. That's not with the right heart. You understand that you can't outgive God. Christianity as a hobby can be very expensive. I don't know that you can afford it. And when Christianity is a hobby, it can also be unenjoyable. You ever seen those people? You know they go to church. You know they have a Bible, but they're just, they just have a bleak outlook on life. They're just moping along and always mad about something or complaining about something. And, you know, well, I've been praying for two days and God ain't answered my prayer and, you know, just all of this stuff. They, they just do not find life enjoyable. Why? Because Christianity is a hobby. Most of those people don't ever see the results that the Bible talks about. For, for a number of reasons. Maybe they don't have the eyes to even see what God is doing. You know, Yesterday, well, it wasn't yesterday. When I was preparing this message, I, I didn't have one two days ago. And I was starting to freak out. And so I got up about 4.30 that morning, did what I always do, grabbed my Bible. I opened it up, and I was on Isaiah chapter 36. And I read 36 and 37 and 38 and 39 in Isaiah chapter 40 that we just used some scripture from. And it was... It was about uh, the Assyrians and, and King Hezekiah of Judah and all of this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it's, you remember the story where God says, I'll take care of that army. And he sends one angel to wipe out 186,000 troops. It's, it's all that. And so I was like, oh, man, I'm going to preach on this. And then I'm driving to Colorado Springs, and I hear one sentence. And it says, it, it was a sermon. And they said, Christianity isn't a hobby. And I was like, whoa. Now, I could preach on that. But wait, I thought God was telling me to preach on, on this. And now I'm like questioning myself. And not long after that, the pastor used uh, one of those verses at Isaiah 40. 
And he's like, and in Isaiah 40, it says, and I mean, it was like I was able to see God was leading me. Even when I didn't know what I was doing, he knew what he was doing. And I felt such a sense of peace over one statement, Christianity is not a hobby, and then one Bible verse read. And I mean, just this peace came over me. And it's like, and I know God is saying, dude, why do you keep worrying? You know, don't, I got you. I got you. I find Christianity very enjoyable, even when it's hard. But what makes Christianity unenjoyable for the hobbyist? Well, as we talked about before, they serve a small God. I mean, like their mindset of God is, is very small. And you can usually tell when people have a small God, lowercase g, because they're always trying to follow rules and always feel like they're in trouble. That's what they think Christianity is, is, is following a bunch of rules. And if you break a rule, then you get sent to the you know, principal's office or something. They also have a sin, as a result, they have a sin-focused life. They have a sin-focused life. Because there is a group of people out there, and I believe that they're Christian hobbyists. And I'm not saying that they're not saved. This isn't a salvation. This is just about life. But there are people out there that think that the way to God is to make less mistakes. Less sin means more God. Okay? Less sin means more God. We know that that's not true. We'll never be free of sin. Now, we do get better, and we learn to make better choices with God's wisdom and stuff like that, but we don't have a sin-focused life like a Christian hobbyist would. They substitute their lack of faith with an abundance of religion. Oh, I'm having a crisis. We need more religion. We need more religion. We need more religion. They condemn people that sin differently than they do. And they need program after program after program after program to make themselves feel like they're doing something. And, I, and I'm not against a program, okay? We don't have them here at Save the Cowboy. But if your entire Christian life revolves around going to a building and studying the Bible with a group of people or whatever the program is, and then going home and not doing anything, that's religion. I'm more concerned about your personal relationship What's going on at 2 o'clock in the morning with you? I don't care if you're at a program. See, those that follow a big God, and I hope that your idea of God is huge. When you follow a big God, miracles happen. God's word is lived in every moment resulting in peace and joy, despite the problems that are going on and loving others becomes more natural. They have a Jesus-focused life instead of a sin-focused life. Everything is done in faith and love. They love people that sin differently than they do. And they don't need programs. They need Jesus, and they share Him with the world through the way they live their lives. When you make Christianity your life instead of your hobby, Following Christ becomes a source of your joy and fulfillment, not because bad things don't happen, but because in spite, but in spite of what happens. Look, I don't want you to be confused. Life is confusing enough. You give everything to God. 
Now, you're not going to walk out of here and go, well, I've given God everything, and if I don't see some results by 2.30, it's not like that. It's a journey. It's a journey. And I hope that you're on it. And if you're not on it, I hope you start it today where you don't have to understand everything, where you don't, uh, where you're not so confused, where the Holy Spirit can speak to you and you can start reading the Bible in a brand new light and that it's not expensive. And you realize that when you do things the way God says to do them, even though it's difficult when you first start it, you won't be able to live the, that same old life ever again. And I want you to be able to enjoy your life as much as humanly possible. But understand, this is not heaven. This is not heaven. This is a fallen world, and bad things happen, but one day everything will be made right again. There will be a new heaven, new earth, and we will be face-to-face with God. And I pray that you're there with us. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, there's someone right now that is confused, probably struggling financially, and not enjoying everything that you have offered us. God, that peace that surpasses all understanding is reserved for those that give you everything in their lives instead of just the leftovers. I really believe, God, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone's heart right now and offering them a place just like the father and the prodigal son did, that all is forgiven, just come back home. And I also believe that angels are holding their breaths, waiting to see if that person will come home. And when you do, God's heavenly host shakes the heavens in celebration of another repented sinner. God, be with us this week. Be with those that are not here and use us to glorify you. In Jesus' name, I am.